If you'll open your Bible to Joshua chapter 2, we'll be in Joshua 2. And as you may know, we started a new series on the book of Joshua last week as Manuel preached on Joshua chapter 1. And so today, we're starting and looking at Joshua chapter 2. Now the thing about Joshua 2 is it's a narrative that introduces the story of the conquest of Jericho over the next five chapters. And what will be interesting is that faith in the Lord will be an important part if the Israelites are going to enter the land and conquer Jericho. And what's fascinating, almost ironic, is that Jericho 2 starts as a story in which a pagan Canaanite woman with a shameful past becomes a great model of faith for God's people. So she, she models faith by being willing to risk it all to be identified with God's people. In fact, the New Testament counts her in the hall of faith as one of the examples of faith. But ultimately... She's a model of strong faith because of what she learned about the Lord, who is the object of her faith. You see, we can look at her as a model of faith because she looked to the Lord. And so ultimately, we're going to be looking at what she learned about the Lord. Because for our faith to grow, it is by looking at the Lord. So there's a couple things that Rahab learns about the Lord that leads her to trust Him even uh, when it's going to be costly. And so, if you're into outlines, we're going to have a basic outline, which is what Rahab learned about the Lord, which is what we're going to mostly talk about, and then really briefly, what the spies learned about the Lord. So let us pray. Lord, we look to You because we know that faith is a gift given by your Holy Spirit as we see your Son, Lord Jesus. So grow us in this gift of faith, Lord, as we come and look at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you look at the context right as it starts, and the scene is being set. In verse 1 it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they go into the land of Jericho. These two men are sent as spies into Jericho, which is this ancient fortified city. It's one of the oldest and one of the most in a very in a well-fortified cities. And their task is to spy out particularly Jericho. Now, if you're a spy and you want to go into Jericho, which is this well-fortified city, they, they think of a really smart and natural place to go. See, where else can you go as a stranger and people aren't going to ask you questions? See, where they go is the house of a prostitute. See, commentators have said that this house of a prostitute, in some ways, is also a hostel. There's going to be lots of people coming and going, lots of strangers coming and going. And if you want to be a stranger and go somewhere, you're not going to ask, people aren't going to ask a lot of questions. Well, you can go to the house of a prostitute. Interestingly, because people are coming and going from this kind of place, this is also how she, Rahab, probably hears about the stories of the Lord. People coming and going. And the text points out that they stayed there at her house. Um, 
It also, as you see at the very beginning, points out very clearly who this woman Rahab is. You know, the Hebrew word here for prostitute is a very interesting word. Basically, it just means prostitute. You see, it is pointing out that this woman does not have a good past and a good present history. She's an Amorite, Canaanite prostitute. She's not a person that anyone would look to and say, there is a virtuous person. Look at her. And yet they come to this place because it's a smart place to go to. So without being, uh, bringing a lot of attention to you. In verse 2, we see that immediately the conflict starts up. The conflict is immediate. You see, the king is informed that somebody knows and has found out that these two Jewish spies have come in and they came to the house of Rahab and they're informed. They say, King, we found out that there's some spies from Israel and guess where they went? They went to Rahab's house. So the king hears about it and he sends some people to Rahab's house and he says basically, All right, Rahab, we know that there are spies at your house. They want to destroy us, so you better bring them out. You see, the implication, the obvious implication is, look, if you don't bring them out, we know that you're in cahoots with them. There's a danger right here for her already. And if you think about it from the spies' perspective, as they're, behind, they're in Rahab's house, and like, oh great, our whole, this, the gig is up. Everything that depends on this prostitute woman. And they're just assuming that their life is over. But she does something very surprising here. Something very risky. Potentially very costly. She hides them in her roof. And her comments to the king and to the king's men is actually really brilliant. She says, well, yeah, the men came to my house in verse 4. Yeah, they came to my house. You do know what I do for a living, right? Basically. It's not my job to interrogate them. And anonymity is kind of how it works. Um, How was I supposed to know where they're from? She says, basically. And then verse 5, directly looking at the text, she says, Look, when the gates were about to be closed... At dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Look, you better go get them quickly, for you will overtake them. As if to say, what are you doing standing around here? Go get them. She takes them off on a wild rabbit trail. It worked. What's the point here that we see already? See, what we learn is that Rahab learned that lying for Jesus makes God very happy. Right? No, no. We know that's not the point. Rahab is not being commended here for lying and getting them off the trail. What, what we do see here is that Rahab learns very fast that it can be very risky and costly to come to the Lord. You see in the text, verses 4 and 6, two times it reiterates that Rahab hides the spy. It reiterates that she hides these spies at her own risk. Commentators, a commentator said this, Look, the ethical issues of lying is not the concern of the narrative. It stresses the deception that she does in order not to condemn Rahab, but to magnify her personal risk in hiding the spies. 
After all, she could have said nothing and allowed the agents to search her house. But by pointing in the other direction, she's risking being caught. You see, this is what the New Testament tells us in James and Hebrew, that she is commended for her faith, which is demonstrated by harboring these Jewish spies. And Rahab learns that it was risky and it is costly to follow the Lord. Think about the risk and the cost that she, she faces. The risk, she's risking her own life. If they had found the spies in their house and they didn't get tricked and gone the other way, she would have been killed with them. But the cost is also that she's turning. She's actually turning from her own people. She's turning on the people of Jericho. She's also, therefore, turning from their gods as well. And so in this way, Rahab is a model of faith. You see, she understood the risk of coming to the Lord. She understood it. But she trusts Him anyways. And that's what faith, what trust looks like. In high school, in college, uh, in high school I had a friend who was a foreign exchange student from Saudi Arabia. And his grandfather was an imam. And we talked a lot about Christian faith. And we talked about Jesus. And he loved reading these stories about Jesus. Then when push came to shove, the, the fear and the worry of his family turning upon him was too much. I had a friend, and I have a very good friend from college who comes from Vietnam, and his family comes from a Buddhist background, and I talked and I've shared the gospel with him many times, and he understands it. But even now for him, the, the shame of coming to Christian faith, the shame from his family is costly. See, for both of these of my friends, the cost of being disowned or dishonored by family has still been too much, and it is costly. You see, there's always a cost in coming to the Lord, and for some people, the social risk and the social cost, in a human perspective, is greater than for others. I mean, think about it. What would be the social risk of an Israelite woman at this point coming to the Lord? But the risk for Rahab was very great. The cost, the social cost for her to come to faith in the Lord as well, it was great. Great. This is how we see Rahab risks. So why then? Here's the question. Why would Rahab be willing to risk it all? Why would, what would drive her to trust the Lord with her life when it was costly? I think this is instructive for us. And it has to be what she learned about the Lord that makes it worth it. We see this in what she says next. Read with me in verse 8 through 11. So before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
And the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Listen what she says. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You see, she gets it. What does she understand? She understands. Think about it from this Israelite perspective. You're a spy, and you just hear a Canaanite prostitute woman tell you the most credible profession of faith in the Lord Yahweh. She says, The Lord your God, He alone is God of heaven and earth. They're just probably flabbergasted. If I were to summarize what she's saying, she is saying and she understands that the Lord alone is mighty, that He is mighty to save and to judge. You see, she professes this basically in this, these three verses right here. She understands, you see, that God, the Lord, He alone is mighty. You see in verse, the, verse 11, this is the core of her profession of faith of who the Lord is. He says at the end of verse 11, the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. She's saying, I know that the Lord is the only God of the universe. I know that He is God over the land of Egypt. He is God over the land of the deserts beyond Jordan. He is the God even of Canaan and Jericho. He is the only God. He is mighty. She also understands, not only is He just mighty, but He is mighty to save. You see, in verse 10, she recounts the redemptive act of God in Israel. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried the water of the Red Seas before you when you came out of Egypt. See, this is the redemptive, the great redemptive act of God. She understands that the Lord is powerful to save His people from their slavery. She knows what God did to save them by taking them through the Red Sea. She understands that God is mighty to save. She also understands the judgment. She says, we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. You see, I think that we see here that Rahab is willing to risk everything to come to the Lord because she knows from this confession of faith right here that the Lord alone is mighty, that He's mighty to save, and He is the mighty one to judge. You see, she had counted the cost. And she found that the risk of coming to the Lord. That it was much better, in fact, much safer to come to the mighty Lord of heaven and earth than to stay behind the walls of Jericho. Um, she heard about the, what the Lord did and the fear of the Lord became greater than the fear of what men might do to her. Do you fear God more than man? Do you know that He alone is the mighty one who saves and the mighty one who judges? 
Or are you more afraid of being judged by people? See, in some ways, this is the question of trust in the Lord. That's the question of faith. Not just do we know about Him, not just do we agree, but are we trusting Him with our life? And so an application question would be, okay, well, what would it look like in my life? What does it look like in my life to actually trust Christ? What does, it, what does faith in the Lord Jesus look like? It's kind of like Rahab. It means a willingness to profess your faith, to confess your faith to other people. That's one picture of what it looks like. And it's important to know that there is a cost. This isn't just trying to be harsh or Old Testament-y talk. You know, Jesus says it himself as well. See, sometimes pastors and preachers will tell you about all the great reasons to come to the Lord and come to Christ. But they minimize the cost that it is. And when we minimize the cost, it just becomes like a sleazy car salesman who says... Look at this car. It's so great. You should buy it. You're like, oh, but what about the cost of it? Oh, just get this car. It's so great. And we'll even throw in a free TV. <laughs> and you know that when they don't tell you about the costs, or they try to hide it, that what they're saying is not really true. But Jesus himself, he doesn't mix words. He's not like that. He says in Matthew 10, 28, he makes it even more clear. He says, and do not fear those who who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven see the awesome and even terrifying truth of the New Testament is that Jesus is the Lord who is mighty who is mighty to save and to judge and one of the evidences that we trust in him is our willingness to confess that faith in him before other people Now, in some ways, I know this kind of sounds kind of scary. This sounds frightening and not even maybe motivating us to faith, to trust in Christ more. But I think think what we see here with Rahab is that she even has something more motivating, more deeply motivating that brings her to trust and cling in the Lord. And I think it is this in the next few verses that we see that she understands that the Lord is loyal to his people. That he is, that the Lord himself is deeply loyal to those who call on him as their God. This is the thing, the deep motivation for trusting in him that she finds. Read with me verses 12 through 14. Verse 12. She says to them, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. Swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my Father's house and give me a sure sign 
that you will save alive my brother, my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver their lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So to summarize what's going on here, this is where I would put it, is ultimately that she understands, she says, Swear by the Lord. She understands, in a way, that the Lord is loyal to his people. What do I mean by that? Well, on Friday, Joseph Duran and I were talking about this particular passage right here. And he said, it's kind of like when you're entering into a contract with iTunes. And when you enter into a contract with iTunes, you click accept. And when you click accept, it says terms and conditions may apply. And if you break those terms and conditions, then Apple will sue you. You're entering into this covenant, this contract. What's happening here in verses 12 through 14 is that Rahab is entering into a covenant of loyalty with the spies. But it is based upon the person and character of the Lord. And in doing so, she actually becomes an Israelite. Commentator, commentator had put on, on this first. She said, right here we see an oath of loyalty. And as an oath of loyalty, this covenant would bring Rahab and her family into Israelite society. And so Rahab and her family ceased to be Canaanites and became part of Israelite, Israel's family. See, and this is good news for her. Because she has come and is coming to understand that the Lord is always loyal to his people. And there are two important words that you need to know that help us understand that better here. One is the word Lord, and the other is the word kind. They are really important Hebrew words, but in English, they don't necessarily, we don't necessarily understand the deep meaning of it. But the word Lord, whenever you see in your English Standard Version and many other Standard Versions, Lord in all caps, what it is saying is Yahweh. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. When we're talking about Yahweh, we're talking about God's personal name, we're talking about his covenantal name that he reveals to Moses, where he basically says, look Moses, as I was loyal to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so I will be there for you. That's embedded in the very name Yahweh, Lord. It's to call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, is to call upon God who is loyal to his people. Think about the family loyalty that we have. You know how fierce your loyalty to your family can be at times. How many of us have seen the movie Taken? And then there's Taken 2. And then there's Taken for the last time. Hopefully. And in that movie, you know Liam Neeson, he's a retired CIA agent, and his daughter gets taken. And so he goes to all the extreme lengths to go get her back. And we watch that movie and say, yeah, I would do the exact same thing if my daughter got taken. If I had special op skills. <laughs> you see, we're calling on the name Yahweh, Lord. It's to call on Yahweh who is loyal, who is more fiercely and unwaveringly loyal to his children than you and I would ever be. That's right there in the name Yahweh, Lord. The other word that's important is the word kind. Kind, to translate this word here as kind, though it is true, 
is about as helpful as saying that a, muzzly, a, a, a mother grizzly bear is kind in protecting her baby cubs from an attacking grizzly male. <laughs> you could look at this mother that's ripping apart a male grizzly bear and saying, oh, look how kind she is to her cubs. You could say that. You know what would be a better way to say? would be, that mother bear is, is loyal, fiercely loyal to her cubs. That's the idea here. It's loyalty. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's covenant loyalty. It's this loyalty, this fierce covenant loyalty, even to death. It's the most descriptive of Yahweh's love. And as a result, it is the kind of love that is supposed to be descriptive between God's people as well. And so when she makes them swear by Yahweh and enters into a covenant with them, she acknowledges that her ultimate hope is built, is based upon Yahweh, who is fiercely loyal to his people. And here's the thing. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. He proves himself. He proves himself to be loyal to her. Not in this chapter, but in the end of Joshua chapter 6. It says that she is saved from destruction and her and her family is welcomed into the family of God. See, what's incredible here is that God is loyal to her. She's received, and she's not received as a second-class citizen. She's received as a family member of the people of God. And the crazy thing is that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it tells us that she later marries a man named Salmon, who is a Jewish prince of the tribe of Judah. And she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David himself, the very greatest king of Israel. And then the New Testament tells us, we know who who comes from the tribe of, of David, who comes from David. It's Jesus. This prostitute woman, Rahab, becomes the ancestor of our Messiah, of our Savior. So you want to see how fiercely loyal God is to his people? He makes this woman who is a prostitute, he makes her the ancestor of Jesus, our Savior. See, God truly is loyal to his people. This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10 when he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. See, that's Hesed, covenant loyalty right there. And he says, and I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must go get them as well. And they will listen to my voice. Who are those sheep? They are the Rahabs who have shameful past, who didn't grow up in a good Christian home, but who heard about the Lord and they trusted in him. Jesus brings them. And he says, I lay down my life for my sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this flock. I must go get them and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, it doesn't matter if you were a prostitute, a pagan, or you grew up a Presbyterian. You trust Jesus with your life. He is mighty to save, and he will be fiercely loyal to you, more loyal than you are to him. And he will say, you are mine, and you are just as much a part of God's family, part of my family, as anybody else. 
And if Jesus is loyal to the Rahabs who come to him, and if he says, you are my family, then we must be loyal to them as well. So now briefly, let us consider then what the Israelites are reminded about the Lord. You see, she learned that the Lord is mighty to save and to judge, and she learned that the Lord is loyal to his people. And in the same way, I think that these spies are reminded of this very same thing. And I think they're reminded of the central promise of God in the book of Joshua, which goes back to Joshua 1.9. And he says, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, look at verse uh, 23 and 24. So after the problem had passed and they're in the clear, verse 23, the two spies, they return. They come down from the hills and they passed over the river Jordan and they come to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. See, they say, truly, the Lord has given us the land. I mean, Joshua, you told us this before, that God would get to give us into the land, and that he was going to be with us wherever we went. But he actually was. We just thought you were talking pious preacher platitudes. The Lord will be with you wherever you go. But we went into the house of a prostitute woman who told us about the Lord. Lord, truly was with us wherever we go. And she told us how the Lord is giving us the land. They learned that the Lord is loyal to his people and that he is with them wherever you go. They saw it in real life. Behind the walls of Jericho, the Lord was with them in the most unlikely and unexpected place. He was with them at the house of a prostitute. You see, they needed to be reminded, as we do, as I do, that you're called by His name, He is loyal to you, and He is with you wherever you go. So do not be frightened, and do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous, therefore. Sometimes we put that verse, Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Sometimes we put that in a plaque and put it in our kitchen. Or we put it in our bathroom. Which is a really interesting place to put a Bible verse saying he'll be with you wherever you go. But we put this Bible verse up and it, sometimes, you know, we sentimentalize it. And we don't consider wherever you go. I think in a way Joshua 2 is a historical account of one of those wherever places even in a pagan city at the house of a prostitute. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. A few years ago, I was on a red-eye flight from Seattle to North Carolina, all the way across the country. And I had a 50-pound suitcase bag with me. They weighed it. It was 51 pounds. I had to take something out. 
And what I had was this huge ESV study Bible, one like that you got right there. This big ESV study Bible. Took it out, 49 pounds. All right. <laughs> now the problem is, I had to walk around the airport carrying this massive ESV study Bible around with me. One of those Bible thumper Bibles. <laughs> I get to my gate, I get to my seat, it's in the middle seat. Uh, the guy next to me looks kind of gruff, gruff and dude, and the girl next to me is all done up. So I sit down in the middle seat, middle seat with my Bible thumper Bible right on my lap in between these two guy, people. Turns out the guy's in the Navy, and uh, he has the mouth of, a, mouth of a sailor talking about his vacation. And, uh, and we're talking, and they look at my Bible, and I look at them. And I'm trying to get the attention off me. So I say, so what do you guys do? And he says he's a Navy. He's, a, he's in the Navy. He's a sailor, which is evident by his speech. Uh, and the woman says she's a dancer. So I say, okay. Navy guy goes to sleep for a while. And then later, I'm sitting there reading my big, massive ESV study Bible. And I asked the lady, so... So what kind of dancing do you do? And she tells me a very specific kind of dancing that you don't want to take your family necessarily to go. And I say, oh. And I've got my big ESV study Bible. And I felt a little bit awkward. Then you know what happens? She starts asking me about the Bible. She'd never heard about the gospel. So I just start reading her some stories about who Jesus is from the Bible, from the gospels. And she just keeps listening and asking questions. And so we're talking. I tell her about Jesus who loves people who have shameful pasts like all of us. That he died for our sins. That he came to bring us into his family. No matter who we are, no matter what our background has been. And as we get off that plane, you know, I give her a hug, I wave goodbye, and she says she's going to go read the Bible. She's going to be interested in this Jesus thing and find a church. And me, the whole time, I'm just there terrified that people are going to judge me because of my ESV study Bible. You see, the Lord, He is mighty to save. And His work goes before us. And He is loyal to His people. And He really, truly is with us wherever we go. So do not be frightened. Do not be discouraged. But be strong and courageous. Let us pray. Lord, grant us stronger faith in you, Jesus, that in a way we may be like Rahab, that count the cost and still believe that it is worth being identified with your people and confessing your name. Help us to look at you, Lord, with eyes of faith as we stand on the River Jordan spiritually 
Grant us faith to see the coming day when you will fully be with us and we will be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Grant us eyes of faith to see you and be reminded in our hearts that you truly are with us wherever we may go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.